What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, and we're back with another one of our QB uh, room episodes. And if you guys haven't checked already, we've got a plethora of these episodes out already. So go back and check those out if you haven't already. Uh, Today, we're going to be going over the Browns and Giants QB rooms. Like I've been saying over the past couple, we're kind of in the middle of the pack in terms of QBs right now. So if you want to see some of the more lower-end quarterbacks with potential to jump up next season, go ahead and check those out. And soon we'll be getting into some of the best quarterbacks in the league, which after this episode, I believe we're not going to be doing multiple quarterbacks in an episode again. So those are going to be the biggest focused ones we have all year. Uh, but today, it's the Browns and the Giants, and if you want to get started, uh, let's get into the Browns and Deshaun Watson's game. All right, quick disclaimer before we get in. Uh, this is only about Deshaun Watson's play on the field. We do not support mm. him as a person off the field. Um, I just want to throw that out there before you hear me gush about his high-end outcomes and whatever. So yep. let's talk about Deshaun Watson's game, or at least the theory of his game, because what was last? What he showed last year was an absolute train wreck, um, and it's barely worth discussing. But we're gonna fly through it a little bit. So, theory of his game is that he has a pretty strong arm, exceptional movement skills. Um, both uh, once he crossed the line of scrimmage and behind the line of scrimmage, he is exceptionally quick, um, has extremely good power, and is able to break out of sacks really well. Um, he's a very very good scrambler. Um, like I mentioned, his arm is really good, um, and he developed into having elite accuracy before he had a long layoff with we all know what. Um, and his his timing um, continuously improved from his rookie year all the way up to uh, 2020, but after the layoff, his, his timing was the biggest issue, um, as well as just kind of uh, feel in general. He kind of had horrible sense for pressure and uh, getting the ball to his receivers uh, in rhythm and um, his, his accuracy was just really shoddy in general um, kind of things that you would expect after a long layoff like getting into rhythm and um, throwing with precision and, and timing are, are going to be uh, things that you need reps to like real reps to, to get used to uh, just playing in training camp against your teammates which I'm not even sure how much he got of that but um yeah, the just that is not is not going to really help you. Uh, but yeah, if you have anything to add, uh, you can add it. Yeah, uh, to me, it also completely depends on like what version of Deshaun Watson we're getting. I think compared to like any other position in the league, by far the worst position to have a huge layoff or break is the quarterback position. And we talk constantly on this pod and in general in quarterbacks about feel for the game. And I think one of the biggest ways to improve and keep your feel for the game is actual repetitions and playing in game obviously like that kind of goes without being said and when we saw Deshaun Watson last year that seemed like what he had lost completely it was his feel for the game because in terms of I guess just raw athleticism and the traits he had coming into the league I didn't feel like he jumped too far below he seemed like he still had the same speed explosiveness etc. The athleticism we saw at the quarterback position early in his years. Uh, Obviously, it'll be a little bit lower now that he's a bit older, 
but still, it's still at a very high level, I'd say. His arm still looked like it was there. It was just the ability to process defenses and just having a feel of the position that seemed completely gone. And we're talking about a quarterback that at 25 years old had what I believe both of us thought was like a top three, top four season, if I'm not mistaken. He threw for like 4,800 yards, 33 touchdowns. Like this was an elite level quarterback. And then last year, obviously, he was a shell of himself. Uh, so it does highly depend on what version of this man we're going to get when we're going into next season. Uh, and I think a, a big thing that we still need to talk about is, and you kind of mentioned it there, was his inability to like kind of get rhythm with his team and his offense there. Uh, last year, I believe when he was suspended for those 12 games, I don't think he really got an off season with the team. And I do know those 12 games where he was suspended, he was not allowed to, you know, practice and play with the team. So I think that definitely contributed to the way he ended up being in these last couple of games that we're about to get into. Uh, I think it's tough when you're kind of just thro- thrust into that position, you know, in week 12, week 13, whenever he came in. So I can see why he played the way he did. There's definitely the upside there. But at this point in time, we haven't seen it in three years. So definitely a lot to question. But let's get into those games. Yeah, even higher on um, where he would have ranked for me in 2020. But um, yeah, looked definitely like a shell of himself. So um, let's go to his first game, which was in week 13 against the Texans. And in this one, the accuracy was just like disgustingly bad. Like it's... It's unviable to have accuracy this bad uh, at the quarterback position. And this against the Houston Texans, like, yeah, this this was horrible performance. Um, put the ball in harm's way for an interception as well. Um, and they weren't even, like, they weren't even asking too much of him. They were asking him to kind of um, play kind of short to intermediate. Um, didn't really push the ball down the field aggressively. And, yeah, even then it was just, it was just very bad. So, yeah. Yeah, I got a game. This game was abysmal, atrocious, like any negative word you can think of. This game definitely showed. And I expected a little bit more from him, I can't lie, even though he had missed a ton of time and this was his first game and God knows how long. I mean, against a very bad Texans defense, and not only that, obviously being his former team, I expected a little more urgency for him to come out and kind of show them up because – Regardless of what happened in the situation, the Texans did kind of want to discard him even like before that whole thing came about. So I definitely expected a little bit more. And he came out looking very, very rusty, if not just straight up bad. He was throwing balls in the dirt left and right. And like PD said, they weren't asking him to do a whole lot. It was like a lot of quick slants and just like drop back, throw a screen, maybe quick RPO actions. They were kind of treating him like a backup quarterback who was just thrown into a game at halftime or something, and they were just getting him into the swing of, you know, even playing offense. And he didn't quite look like an NFL quarterback in this one. Yeah, moving on to the next one. Um, I could say he looked like an NFL quarterback in this one, but, man, the, the, the interception that he threw and it had another dropped interception. So the interception that he threw, uh, one of the worst plays of the year from a quarterback, honestly, like, he is so, so late on that concept that it just gives the receiver no chance um, to make a play on that ball. Um, box score lying a little bit because he suffers from a few drops uh, in this one. Uh, but, man, the, the the passes that he put into harm's way, 
um, really, really bad. And he was holding the ball again, um, responsible for a bunch of pressure. So, uh, yeah, just still still a negative game. But I, I did think that he looked more like, like a backup in this one. Yeah, I, I would agree. He did look like an NFL quarterback, but like you said, he didn't look like a good one. And I do agree that it was a huge step forward from the last game, but like the last game was kind of rock bottom for me. So I wasn't expecting him to have that sort of performance again. And it was still a bit of a poor performance. I also thought that interception he threw was probably one of the worst interceptions I saw a starting quarterback throw all year. Uh, His timing in general, not only on that play, but throughout the game looked off as like someone who hadn't played as long as he did. His accuracy definitely stepped up from the previous week. However, it was still not quite the Deshaun Watson level accuracy we kind of got to expect or nowhere near that. And I think one thing he was great at before, or two things he was great at before that we still aren't seeing from him yet is playmaking and pushing the ball downfield. He didn't even really try to push the ball downfield. The Browns kind of had the similar sort of game plan where They treated him like a backup, and he was just running those sort of concepts. Uh, And once again, the mistakes were just too much. Another poor performance for me, but I I will say the fact that he only really has one weapon in terms of a receiving threat in Amari Cooper on this team, and he had a pretty bad game. He was locked up for most of this one. So I'll give him some credit in the fact that he didn't have much help, in, especially because the running game was so bad, which isn't normal for this Browns offense. Uh, but even with that, he was pretty bad. All right, moving on to the next game against Baltimore. So this one, he took a step forward again. Looked a little bit more average, uh, in my opinion. The offense was very, very toned back, um, just asking him to pass the ball short over and over again. Um, he did take uh, a few sacks in this one, though, um, which is holding it back from being like an actually good game. Um, it just pushes it back to average for me, where those errors in kind of timing and, and processing the defense, um, th- those are the biggest issues in this one for me. Yeah, I think the Browns saw Tyler Huntley coming out in this opposing game and felt like they could steal a win here, and they kind of made this more of a low-scoring, ground-and-pound type of game uh, because, honestly, that's kind of the only way they can win. Uh, This Baltimore defense was really, really good this year, as we've said, with a, a lot of these quarterbacks facing this team. So I don't think they trusted Watson whatsoever against them, and it reflected how they had him play. I think the one big issue I had with his game is he's never been the type of guy to take a lot of sacks. In fact, one of the first things PD mentioned in breaking down his game was the fact that he was really good at evading sacks, one of the best at that in the league. And him facing a lot of pressure and taking a lot of sacks, given the offensive line he has, was very concerning for me. Because in the other games, they kind of just asked him to drop back and dump it down immediately. So he didn't have to get used to the timing of dropping back and still maneuvering in the pocket and avoiding sacks. And in this one, uh, when he was asked to do that, he did not perform well. And his accuracy was still just about as poor as I'd say in the last game. He still didn't even attempt to attack downfield. And you see that reflected in how low amount of yards he had in this game. Overall, I just think he had really low impact on this game. Uh, I would say he's definitely a quarterback who ends who takes a lot of sacks. But the point I was trying to make is like 
he he lives on the edge a lot, so he's gonna he's gonna end up with an L on a bunch of plays uh, by taking the sack. But the amount of plays that he generates under pressure by breaking the sack and then pushing the ball down the field for an explosive play, um, I think largely um, before this year, um, the good outweighed the bad when he was under pressure for those kinds of plays. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next one, this was definitely. Um, something to see, I would, I would say. Um, like, this game, the weather was just... This is one of the worst weather games I've seen all year, and I think the box score is a really poor indicator of how Watson played. Now, um, I, I, I will... Okay, um, before I, I touch on some of the negatives, um, four drops in this game, which is really going to hurt the completion percentage, and receivers just absolutely have no clue what to do. Um, horrible routes all over the place. Um, but... I do want to say, like, on, on the last play of the game, the sack that he took without pushing the ball into the end zone, that was really uh, annoying for me, despite the fact that there were multiple drops on the previous plays that should have resulted in, in the Browns, like, uh, getting a touchdown and, and potentially tying the game. Um, I really did think that that was a strong piece of evidence for his field being a lot worse than we've been accustomed to in the past. Um and he does have an ugly turnover they play again in this one. So um, that's going to hold it back for uh, and make it just an average game. But I think the completion percentage is, is really lying because of how disgusting the weather was. Yeah, I think we've talked about a bunch of like poor weather games in this one. And to me, like these poor weather games, it's really tough to extract like what you want to see out of a quarterback because the way you play is just so different. Uh, I mean, the Browns pretty much had to run their offense even more so than they normally would through Nick Chubb. So it was tough to really, you know, comment on how he played. I believe it was the field was icy in this game and it was so windy that it was one of those games where the holder had to hold, hold the ball on kickoffs, that sort of deal. So it's tough to say. And I say considering the, I guess, circumstances, Deshaun Watson did have solid accuracy I also agree that the box score lies a little bit he definitely didn't have sub 50% type accuracy in this one and even though he didn't push the ball downfield in this one like I would have wanted you can't really in these circumstances though that's kind of something I am not gonna fault him on uh but things that I still can fault him on is that obviously that interception that you mentioned that I also believe was his fault he once again took two sacks on a decent amount of times he was pressured and that's a, it's a decent amount of times considering they weren't dropping back for a whole lot of time or anything. Watson was getting the rid of the ball relatively quickly in this one because of the circumstances and he was still pressured a decent bit. So to me, that's a bit of an issue. Uh, however, like I said, it's tough to take much from this. I'd still give him a below average performance in my opinion, but it's hard to say yeah, um, snow all over the ground in this game, and 11 degrees, a 30-mile-an-hour wind, so uh, definitely something there. Um, all right, moving on to the next one against Washington. So I think the Bakur is lying again in this one, um, but a little bit towards the positive side. So um, this is kind of like a 50% uh, completion type game in terms of accuracy um, and consistency with the rhythm of the offense. But the part I'm saying that's lying is the 9.4 yards per attempt and three touchdowns. Uh, th this was not that caliber of performance. There was a lot of work being done uh, by the receivers. And uh, Watson taking five sacks in this one, a lot of those were on him. Uh, just 
extending the play well past the point that he needed to throw the ball away um, for a number of these plays and just ending up taking a sack instead of generating a positive or, or throwing the ball away. So, yeah, I, th- I thought I thought this was a very, very poor game for him. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I think the biggest point there is obviously the sacks and pressure. And you mentioned like a little bit ago that before he was always the kind of guy that would run around and try to make something out of nothing. And in general, because of how elite his athleticism and playmaking ability was, the good outweighed the bad. And this game was a prime example of how like today's Deshaun Watson, maybe the good or most definitely the good does not outweigh the bad anymore because he looked more like one of those young quarterbacks that I talk about, maybe even like a Kenny Pickett from last episode where he was just bailing from the pocket, trying to do way too much when he didn't need to, ruining the rhythm of and timing of his offensive plays. And that's why those sacks happened. It wasn't even necessarily the offensive line playing bad. wasn't even him having poor pocket awareness. It was literally just him trying to do way too much and taking more sacks than he really needed to. I also agree that given the, the throws he made, that 50% completion percentage is probably pretty, it resembles how poor his accuracy was. And Amari Cooper did have an absolutely amazing game. I think a lot of the production that came from, you know, those touchdown plays where Amari Cooper just being amazing after the catch or just being completely open. Uh, Watson still at this point in his career can hit a wide open receiver. I mean, all NFL quarterbacks can. So that's not something I'm going to look at and that's going to jump off the page to me. But he still is not doing the things that he was doing back in Houston where he was throwing people open or hitting players in tight windows, stuff like that, stuff you want out of an elite level quarterback. To me, this was still a bad performance. All right, moving on to his final game of the season, and I think this was his worst game of the season, despite the hefty passing yardage total. Man, um, putting the ball in harm's way four times, only punished for two of them through the air, and has another ugly fumble. Um, so that brings the count to five turnover-worthy plays in total. Um, and just really the the consistency of the offense, totally not there because of the amount of pressure that Watson was taking. Like, again, you mentioned... Um, him just disrupting the continuity of the offense in the last game. More of the same in this one. Seven sacks, a lot of them on him just just doing too much, um, trying to extend the play, look for something deep downfield, but nothing materializing and uh, him ending up taking the sack. So, yeah, uh, very, very poor game to end the season. Probably his worst game by some distance, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call this his worst game because the Texans game was kind of disgusting to watch. And... I think the reason he didn't make as many mistakes in that game was because they just literally didn't let him do anything. So I guess it kind of depends how you look at it, but I will completely back you on the fact that this was a terrible game. I mean, in terms of taking pressure and having getting sacked, this was by far the worst game of his entire season. It felt like he was pre- under pressure almost the entire game. And almost all of them, I felt that like it was primarily him holding the ball way too long or just not just not making a decision quick enough. And that's why he was sacked seven times, which is a ridiculous amount. I also agree that those two interceptions were his fault. That fumble was pretty bad, as well as a couple more interceptable passes. In terms of making mistakes, this was 
definitely by far the most mistakes he's made. Uh, to me, this was like the first game where the Browns just decided to let Watson, I guess, cook, essentially. He didn't cook, but that's what they let him do here. I think with it being the last game of the season, nothing's really on the line for them. Uh, they wanted to say, see what they had in him at this point, and they, they just let him play like he normally would, whereas the last couple of games, they gave him a more limited kind of game script because they didn't want to get him so exposed so early on. And he still looked very, very poor. Lots of mistakes. I think his accuracy was a little bit better than it was in the other games, but that's a very, very low bar to beat. And his accuracy still, on average, wasn't very good. I still think he wasn't uh, attempting to attack the ball downfield in, enough at all. And it probably had a lot to do with how shook his confidence was from all the mistakes and sacks he was taking. Just a really ugly performance. It seemed like every other play, Deshaun Watson was doing something wrong. All right, so let's get into the team and scheme and the fit of Deshaun Watson and the rest of the Browns quarterbacks with this Cleveland roster. Um, so let's break down um, the team um, first. Uh, they have Nick Chubb, obviously, in the backfield, so exceptional r- rushing option if they decide to lead on that. Um, adding Elijah Moore this offseason, um, good reclamation project after – a very bad year with the Jets, I would say. Um, and I think he'll find himself much more at home um, as a lesser option uh, behind the run game and Amari Cooper. And then I think, again, um, the Browns offensive line is set to be one of the best, adding Ethan Pochich, um in the offseason. Really, really good center overall. So, yeah, this, this is a really good supporting cast. And I think that Kevin Stefanski's um, – adaptability as a coach, I would say, is a good harbinger for Watson's success. Uh, Watson's definitely a guy who succeeds most out of gun, and the Browns with Nick Chubb have always been an under-center type of team. But if you look at Nick Chubb's underlying metrics in terms of how he plays from gun, it's just all elite. So I I don't foresee um, him having any struggles transitioning into more of a Watson shotgun-heavy scheme. and yeah, I, I think that that adaptability of the offense makes it so that Watson will fit well. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there because I feel like the Browns have surrounded Watson with like the type of team we kind of know he's been successful with in the past, but if not, have made it a little bit better. I think the biggest thing, obviously, is the running back room. He by far has the best running back room he would have in his well, career aside from maybe, you know, the season last year. Uh, but I think Jerome Ford was a good pickup in the draft and obviously Nick Chubb being one of the best running backs in the league. And I think Watson coming back new, I think it's going to be good for him to have a like a running game he can rely on and kind of work off of. He doesn't have to be the entire offense on this Browns team, especially early on where he's probably still going to be a little shaky. Uh, I think the receiving room could use a little bit more talent, but like I was saying earlier with like teams that Watson has been successful in, with he was at his peak when he had a really dominant DeAndre Hopkins and kind of rotational pieces around that. And they don't quite have that set up here, but they have it a little bit with Omari Cooper being the clear number one, someone who Watson kind of built a connection with last year. And I think it's just an overall very solid receiver for Watson to have with them. I also agree that Elijah Moore did drop off a little bit last year, but this could be a spot where 
he fits in better with the offense. I think in short yarded situations where Watson may have to go to more this season, he might be solid. But outside of that, I feel like they have a lot of journeymen uh, other than, I guess, Peoples-Jones, who's been on the Browns for a while. But even him, I'm not too high on. I feel like just outside of those two main guys, they don't have a lot of talent. And that could be an issue with Watson at this point in his career where when we saw him in the last year, he definitely could use all the help he could get. I think Njoku's been a solid tight end for them for years now, so I think he's going to be solid with Watson as well. And I kind of like the way their styles link up as well with Njoku being more of a receiving threat that Watson could use. And like you mentioned, like the Browns offensive line once again is slated to be one of the best in the league. And as we were talking about how Watson was declining a little bit with his ability to shake off sacks, he was taking a lot of sacks last year. I think it's good that they continue to have a good offensive line for his sake, especially someone like him who early in his career before all the situations did deal with a lot of injuries as well, uh, one season ending injury. So, you know, definitely a solid fit around him. Yeah, I I think that – Amari Cooper not being like a DeAndre Hopkins level player is gonna make it so that he can't really compensate for the like lack of depth because I think we you and I both don't really think that Elijah Moore and Donald Peoples-Jones are like world beaters as number two and number threes and then in terms of depth they have like potential but they're very young players and like David Bell, Cedric Tillman um we'll see what Marquise Goodwin has left I guess um all right um so let's get into the outcome projection for these Browns quarterbacks um, and starting with Watson. So the range here is enormous. Um, what we saw last year was an exceptionally small sample and we don't have anything for the year prior. Um, and we'd have to go back to 2020 where he was um, in my opinion, I don't know if this is a hot take, but a serious contender for a top quarterback in the league. Um, so very much a hot take there, but continue. Yeah, I, I think he was he would probably be my number two that year. But like um yeah, so that that makes the range really, really difficult um to nail uh specifically. But for me, fiftieth percentile outcome for him looks something like a solid starter. Um he probably won't finish as a solid starter, but just kind of averaging all the outcomes and, and looking what's in the middle, um, that's kind of what it is. Um at seventy fifth percentile outcome, he is a solid pro bowler looks more like the guy he was in 2018, 2019, that type of thing. Um, still not fully on the, at the 2020 level where he's perfectly balanced in aggression and patience. Cause I think that will still take time to fully come back. Um, and then at his hundredth percentile outcome, he's just 2020 Watson where um, an off season, he has a fantastic off season fully uh, refurbishes his ability to, um, balance the aggression and patience. His accuracy, instead of just solid in spurts, is completely drilled down. Um, and look at the lower end outcomes. They're going to be similarly wide distribution. Um, at his 25th percentile outcome, I think he's something like low end starter. Um, what we saw last year is more in the backup range. Um, so I don't really think that's... Um, what it'll look like with an off season, but I still think it could look pretty bad if he just doesn't discover as much of the feel, um, as he did in the, as he had in the past. And he has kind of a poor off season. That's it in that sense. Um, and then at the zero percentile outcome, he kind of regresses, um, from 
what he had last year. Um, and some of the worst games that we saw is more representative of who he is as a player now. Um, and then quickly, speed running through Josh Dobbs and DTR. Um, I see DTR clearly as a third stringer. He's not fluctuating from that. And then Josh Dobbs is more like a low-ish end backup for me with the ceiling as like a solid backup and a lower end in, in the third string range. Yeah, as far as Watson goes, I agree with you that his range of outcomes is going to be very, very large here. And I've said this like this specific thing, having very large outcomes for a lot of quarterbacks. And if you guys have seen any of these before, it's almost always with the younger quarterbacks that I say like, oh, there's a huge variety because we really don't know what to expect. And this is a weird case with Watson, obviously. I mean, we discussed why it was a weird situation. But with him having missed so much time, he's going to kind of be like that young quarterback role. But it's a little different, obviously, because like PD mentioned just a couple of years ago, he had the argument for, in his opinion, second best quarterback in the league. Even for me, he wasn't, I probably wouldn't put him at two, but he wasn't too far off from that. He was definitely up there. And for that reason, I'm also going to have him with a very, very wide range of where he could and couldn't be. I think on his average outcome, he's going to be a slightly below average quarterback, somewhere within that 16 to 20 range, probably in the middle of that middle of that sort of pack, I guess you could say. And the reason I think that is, I mean, last year we went over, I would also think he's a backup level player, but... I think after a whole offseason of playing with these people, kind of getting the rust off, he obviously didn't have an offseason even most of the season last year. I think finally getting a full camp, full everything, he's going to return somewhat to the Deshaun Watson we know. But I think especially early on, it's still not going to be you know, anywhere near that level. It's just last year, we weren't even seeing some of the flashes or qualities that we would expect out of a Deshaun Watson. This year, I think we see that just to a worser level now that he's a little bit older a little bit less athletic probably out of practice in general and I think that overall slates him to be a slightly below average quarterback a little bit worse than some of these other guys who may be even more talented than him who have kind of come into the league since he's been you know absent and like some of these other guys who have been playing and will be a little bit more consistent and then like I said him having a huge range I think his high-end outcome is honestly he could be somewhere in like that six to 10 range at his best. Uh, I think he still has the talent to be somewhere there. I think a lot of people thought last year he was going to come in and be that kind of guy. And if he really, really gets back to the Watson that we knew from back then, I see no reason why he can't be in there with like your Tua's or your Aaron Rodgers, your Geno Smith's, those sort of players, that sort of realm. And I see, like, I guess the 75th percent outcome is him being a slightly above average type of player. Uh, he kind of taps into that Deshaun Watson of old, you know, gets familiar with the system, but not quite to the level of him being, you know, at the top of his game where he was at, like, 2019 or 2020. Uh, and I guess at his worst, I could see him kind of stay stagnant. I mean, this team this year is mostly similar to what he had last year there is a situation where I mean nothing really changes and he just ends up being that same backup level quarterback at this point we just don't know if that's who he is or that's just what we saw out of you know the little broken season he had and granted I think from the context clues most people can determine that you know 
he clearly wasn't at his best. But there is a world where that's just him now. And in that world, he would be not even a starter anymore. And I guess his 25th percentile outcome would be somewhere in between that, something towards a bottom level starter where he kind of gets things clicking, but it's still a lot of mistakes, a lot of him just messing around, uh, taking too many bad sacks, which overall brings this game down. And then I guess for Josh Dobbs and DTR, I'll keep it sort and sweet because honestly, I'm not too high on either of these guys. Uh, starting with DTR, he's the type of guy who I was honestly a little surprised got drafted as high as he did. I'm not the highest on this guy. I think at UCLA, he was more of the type of quarterback that dominated based on his athleticism. And their system was pretty good for his sort of skill set, but I don't see him as the type of guy that can adapt to any offense or really be, rely on his passing as he you know progresses to the NFL. I think the Browns picked him up because he does have somewhat similar skill sets to like a Deshaun Watson or even a Josh Dobbs to a certain extent, but more Deshaun Watson. So I could see why they would want him and like having him for scout team and whatnot, but I personally don't think uh, he's going to be an NFL quarterback for very long, and I see him being a bottom-level third string, if not a fourth string, if that's something we have. Uh, and in terms of Josh Dobbs, I'm also not particularly high on him. I think at this point in his career, we've kind of seen what we know from him, and I would put him somewhere in like the lower end of backups, maybe somewhere in the middle to lower end, and I guess if he improves a little bit, I could see him kind of get into that better backup region where he's maybe in like the high 30s low 40s uh but worst case option he could end up being a third stringer as well yeah agreed with a lot of what you said there um aside from the the horrible spoilers that you dropped uh, for our rankings but that's okay um so let's move on to um our number 13 ranked quarterback room uh, the New York Giants, and this is going to be heavily focused on Daniel Jones, of course. Um, and just getting into a little bit of what Daniel Jones's game is. So last year um, in Brian Dayball's scheme, um, they ran a ton, I mean a ton, of movement plays um, off play action, RPOs, design quarterback runs, um, which kind of involving Saquon Barkley in the run game quite a lot. Um, and that helped Daniel Jones be reasonably efficient and not an extremely high volume passer, um, which was extremely good for his development. Um, he limited his turnover-worthy plays at a much better rate. And despite the fact that he didn't um, generate many explosives down the field, he was significantly more accurate uh, in a scheme that suited his strengths. And yeah, I think that he has a role as a solid quarterback in this type of movement heavy offense where he can just kind of throw the short pass and then occasionally stretch the field with um, his strong arm. Um, and the improvement in the accuracy is the biggest thing um, that made Daniel Jones a breakout last year. Yeah, Daniel Jones is a very interesting quarterback to me because I feel like he's kind of get gets put in unfair situations uh, because of where he is and kind of just the situation around him, uh, mainly being being a New York player, the quarterback of the Giants. Uh, I think a lot of just New York people end up overrating him, him being obviously a big, na- big 
position in a big market. He gets very overrated, and then the Giants have gone on and kind of overpaid him this offseason. And as a result, I feel like he he gets a lot of hate from the general NFL fan base who kind of knows who he is, but then they see New York and their media and, I guess, their fans really, really overblow what he produces. And as a result, he's just become this polarizing guy where I think in most situations he wouldn't be because to me, he's kind of developed into your run-in-the-mill average quarterback at this point in time. Earlier on in his career, obviously struggled with a lot of things. His decision-making was pretty poor. His accuracy was kind of all over the place, and he had a lot of turnover-worthy plays for his first two years, a lot of turnovers in general. Uh, And I think last year, even though that still kind of came up and bothered him a decent bit, he was limited those a lot, like PD mentioned. I think his accuracy went up a bit. And I think overall, the Giants finally put a decent team around him. And he was still a solid engine to that offense. That was a pretty successful offense and team overall. Uh, I think the issue with them and Daniel Jones, and I'll get more into this later when we do a breakdown, is they're kind of expecting him to be more than what he is to me, which is a game manager that occasionally makes mistakes that takes his teams out of games. But like PD said, he's never going to be the type of guy to get a ton of explosive plays, even though he does have a great arm and he's kind of capable of doing it. I think he's kind of gotten limited by the amount of mistakes he's making. They're making him run a very specific type of offense to maximize what he can do. So I think he's never going to be the kind of guy that's just going to light you up, be an elite level quarterback. But at this point in time, I think he's a very average quarterback and much of that the way I look at him that way and the way most people look at him is because of this last season so I guess we can get right into it with the first game and this is our first playoff quarterback too so that's pretty cool all right so let's go to the first game against Tennessee um and this game was kind of um what uh, kind of was a blueprint for what the Giants offense ended up being throughout the year um so Jones um, low attempt number um, with 21 pass attempts, but was very accurate on most of them. Uh, put the ball in harm's way for one turnover-worthy play. Um, took a number of sacks, which is why I think this game overall was kind of bad in combination with the turnover-worthy play. Um, but they didn't ask him to do too much, and he didn't really generate too many explosives down the field. And, yeah, that, it was just it was more of like a Saquon takeover, and Daniel Jones just don't lose us the game. Yeah, I think earlier on in this season, they did kind of use him like that because I think at this point, they still saw Daniel Jones as the Daniel Jones of the last few years, which obviously wasn't great. And Saquon was having an insane game. So obviously, you know, you're going to go to that that guy when he's dominating to the extent. And I do think this was a representation of what they did with him the rest of the season, where he was low volume. He kind of did what he needed to do in the passes. He's not going to win you a game, but... I mean, in this case, he did make a mistake with that interception, but it still wasn't enough to lose them that game. Uh, He was pretty accurate. I was actually very surprised with his accuracy in this one compared to previous years. It still wasn't anything over the moon because his passes were not all that difficult. But for Daniel Jones standards, it did surprise me a little bit. Uh, Like PD mentioned, I think those sacks were a bit too much. He was taking way too much pressure against the Titans defense, which didn't really turn up until later in the year, I felt like. So at this point, I still think it was a lot on his 
uh, on his problem. But I think the biggest thing for him in this game was just being able to win it at the end. And I know that's kind of the thing we're getting away from here uh, with the way we break down quarterbacks. But it isn't necessarily the win, but more what it represented. I feel like in general throughout Daniel Jones' career, he was kind of like not very confident in his game. I felt like I felt like early in the game, if he was to make mistakes or kind of gets halted, uh, the Giants offense would just straight up not succeed because he would get in his head too much and do too much. And in this game, he had a very, very good second half, including a touchdown drive towards the end of that game that really put it away. And I feel like earlier on in his career, Daniel Jones would have never been able to do that. So I thought it was huge for his just progression to be able to lead a game and win a game late in it when he didn't have the best first half, but he was still able to stay like mentally strong enough to not just completely throw them out of the game. All right, so let's move on to the next game in week two, and I think this one was a little bit more of a stinker. Um, just the precision of his ball placement was a little bit all, the, all over the place to me, and his, the sacks that he took, combined with the pressures that he was taking, it was it was it was kind of bad. Um, I thought that he managed the game kind of poorly, and I think in terms of the box score, he was lucky that um, it didn't end up a lot worse than it, than it ended up being. Yeah, it's funny how you said that, like, he managed the game poorly when he's supposed to be a game manager. But, yeah, this is one of those situations where the game manager does not manage the game, and that's when things go bad. Uh, like like with the last game, it's a recurring problem with not only Daniel Jones, but it seems to be a lot of quarterbacks when we've gone through. Uh, he once again took way too many sacks and was just overall pressured quite a bit. Uh, just like the last game, he didn't really uh, try to go downfield. And in the last game, it wasn't so much of a problem because he was quite accurate. But as PD mentioned, he was a lot more all over the place with his accuracy in this one. And I also agree that the box score lies a little bit and makes his stat pad and his completion percentage a bit because at the end, he had a lot of easy throws that you know boosted him a little bit. But overall, it was a pretty poor performance accuracy-wise. And when you don't make up with it for him, with big explosive plays, which he definitely did not. Uh, that was an issue. And the biggest issue here, I think, was Saquon clearly had such a good game the previous week, and that's what made Daniel Jones like look better than he should have in that one. And in this one, Saquon got pretty much shut down. And as a result, Daniel Jones looked a lot worse. So at this point in the season, it seemed very much like, Will Daniel Jones be able to function if Saquon doesn't have an insane game, uh, which is a definitely a big problem when you're looking at Daniel Jones to be your franchise guy. All right, moving on to the next one in week three um, against the Cowboys. Man, this was a really, really bad matchup uh, for the Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones was completely overwhelmed in terms of the pressure that he was under. Um, and really how much that they were asking of him, um, given the circumstances, five sacks, um, pretty much most of the dropbacks that he had, he was under some sort of pressure, which is like really, really bad for NFL standards. You should be in like the 25% range, uh, for a normal game for pressures. And yeah, he really didn't succeed in those conditions. Um, he was able to generate a couple of explosive plays here and there, but man. Really, really rough game for the offense. 
but just to watch. And yeah, the, the Giants in, in general, just, just very bad. Yeah, having seen a lot of these games, I think I'm starting to, or had underrated the Cowboys defense because I feel like as we go through these quarterbacks, a lot of teams or quarterbacks seem to be very much overwhelmed by this Cowboys defense. So that's very interesting to see. But yeah, I agree completely that it seemed like he was just overwhelmed and flustered by this defense. And that was something that happened to Daniel Jones a lot earlier in his career. And he kind of phased it out of his game uh, throughout the season, but it definitely was not yet at this point in the season. And that's why I said that first game was so huge because it felt early on in that Titans game that he was getting or what was happening to him was what happened this game where he was just slowly getting phased out of the game and not really becoming uh, or not really being able to get out of that. And that's what happened in this one. I mean, once again, took a lot of pressure. And given that the Giants offensive line was pretty solid this year, I can't really blame it all on them. I did feel like he was holding the ball too long and not making his decisions quick enough. Uh, And that's what resulted in those five sacks. I also agree with you in that interception was most definitely his fault. And I thought was pretty important in throwing this game away for them. And this is probably his worst uh, accuracy performance in the season so far. And once again, even though his efficiency was pretty solid, the Giants pretty early had to go away from giving Saquon the ball, and it wasn't a huge thing they did in the second half. And as a result, you saw a lot more flustered and a lot more uh, like problematic version of a Daniel Jones because he was making mistakes, he was throwing balls over the, all over the place, taking sacks. It just seems like when you aren't ahead of the curve Daniel in the game, Daniel Jones kind of – you know, shit hits the fan with him. And this was kind of a situation, or it was that kind of situation in this game. All right, so moving on to the next game where the situation is drastically different. Um, And against Chicago, he is an extremely low-volume passer. And I'm not sure how to describe this game, but he was efficient on his very limited um, dropback sample that he had. This was all Saquon, but... um, I guess you could say he had a quote-unquote good game uh, on a personal basis. Yeah, he only threw 13 passes in this game, so you really can't do much in this. I, I don't remember. I don't know if I'm remembering wrong, but I felt like this was a very normal weather game, so I'm very confused why both teams had rushed the ball so much. But like I said with that first game, when you have a dominant performance out of Saquon, uh, and even a pretty solid rushing performance out of Daniel Jones is himself rushing for two as well. Uh, you're really not going to go to Daniel Jones passing much. And I guess that's kind of why the Giants succeeded. They leaned on Saquon and went to Daniel Jones when it was necessary. Because as we saw from the last two games, if they go to him any more than that, that's when problems arise. So I guess I'll say he was solid in the snaps he did, but like you mentioned, it's it's not much you can take out of a 13-pass game. All right, moving on to the next game against the Packers. And uh, this one was a little interesting to me. So he puts the ball in harm's way a couple of times with a fumble and an interceptable pass. Um, for me, neither of them punished and – or neither of them punished by the traditional box score. And I thought that for the rest of the game, he was pretty good um, in rhythm for almost the entirety of it. Um, has a couple of weird um, plays where um, that influences completion percentage, and I thought it was 
Um, he deserved to complete even more passes than he ended up completing. Um, really, really sharp day in terms of putting the ball where it needed to be. Um, and yeah, just only one sack for him. It's just a very clean game overall outside of those two eternal worthy plays. Yeah, I like that you mentioned clean because I also thought like when I was watching this performance or watching it back, I also thought it was a very clean performance. And at this point in the season, the Giants were very much uh, underdogs against this Packers team. So, uh, And going into a London game, I, I really didn't think too much of the Giants here and was very much surprised where when they were able to win this one. And I do think a lot of that was did have to do with Daniel Jones. Uh, I agree that that fumble was definitely a huge problem by him, but I really don't remember interceptable pass from him in this one. Uh, I felt like he was pretty accurate for the most part. Like you said, he really put the ball where it needed to be for most of it. Uh, He was accurate and he spread the ball out well. He was getting it to his guys in space and just letting them do their thing. And even though this receiving unit does not have a whole lot of weapons, uh, when you have a player like Daniel Jones, at quarterback, that's kind of your best bet. And that's exactly what he did. And he was able to do it without the most dominant performance in the world out of Saquon. Still a very good one for him, but it definitely wasn't all their offense came from the running game. It was a huge part to do with the passing game. And even though he wasn't really attacking deep, I finally saw Daniel Jones attack the intermediate range of the field and not just go short every single time. And like I've said, with a lot of quarterbacks, when you have a little bit of a limited skill set as a quarterback, as a playmaker, you're going to need that need to dominate that intermediate portion of the field from the pocket. And that's something finally Daniel Jones was able to do in this one, uh, even though he didn't really get any spe- special connection going with any of his receivers. Uh, he got it out to many different people. Uh, no real throws that wowed me, as always, but with Daniel Jones, really, but Nothing to really make the game bad for me. So this is a very average to even above average performance if you're just taking into the fact that it's Daniel Jones. All right, moving on to the next one against the Ravens. And this one, again, um, puts the ball in harm's way. But I thought for the rest of the game, extremely clean, suffering from multiple drops and some throwaways are limiting his completion percentage. But, man, really, really doing a good job putting the ball where it needs to be. He does take four sacks, which... Um, kind of hinders that clean label that I put on him and the fumble as well was kind of ugly. But yeah, I mean, um, the rhythm of this offense looks very good. Um, it's just those few plays that he just has to clean up. Um, that's preventing him from having extremely high level games in these. Yeah, even though this game wasn't the best in the world out of Daniel Jones, I was very much impressed with him because I think the Ravens' defense is the first one they faced since that Cowboys' defense, and the only two at this point in this year where those defenses were really, really good. And after we saw what happened against the Cowboys, that first one, Jones looked completely flustered and got pretty much taken out of the game. And going into this Ravens game, I really thought that was that's what was going to happen again. Uh, and I thought this Giants' little streak that they were going on was going to break. But Jones was kind of able to get through that. Uh, one thing he did struggle with once again in this game uh, was the sacks after a game or two of it not being an issue. It came back again uh, where he was, it felt like he was always under pressure. Uh, but he's not someone that particularly goes gets much worse under pressure, so I guess it's not the worst thing in the world for him. I also agree that he was once again very, very accurate in this one. 
Uh, like you said, a couple drops ruined the completion percentage a bit. But still, even with that, a very good completion percentage. And if you see the tape, he was putting the ball right when it where it needed to be. Uh, late in the game, once again, I, I mentioned it early in the season with that uh, Titans game, but he showed once again in this one, he was able to put early in the game where the offense was struggling a little bit to the side and put together two solid drives where in that Titans game, I honestly thought it was a lot of just had to do with the fact that uh, uh, they were uh, Saquon Barkley was really good, but I felt like in this game, it was also him contributing in those drives, and that was huge for me. Uh, he still didn't attack deep in the field, which was a bit of an issue, but he became once again that intermediate field merchant. There were plenty of passes within the five to fifteen yard range that just kept the Giants' offense chugging and chugging along, and that's what you want out of Daniel Jones. So once again, a average to above average performance. All right, moving on to the next game uh, against Jacksonville. And this game stands out to me, um, and it's for a specific reason. So I'll get into that really quickly um, after I touch on the, um, his overall performance. So his overall performance was solid to me. Um, but as a passer, it was just kind of lackluster. Um, he pushed the ball down the field with some rarity um, and put the ball in harm's way a couple of times. So that's going to limit his passing Um overall impact to just average, even if he was um, successful on a couple of the deep shots that he did have. But the thing that puts this over the top for me is how successful he was as a, as a rusher in this game. He was absolutely fantastic, um, generating explosive plays multiple times uh, on the ground in this game. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a huge component for them pulling off the win in this one. Yeah, honestly, I feel like I was, I'm even more optimistic about this performance than you were uh, because I didn't think he had as many turnover-worthy plays as you felt like, and I feel like with that taken out of the picture, for me, this was a very, very good performance, and I'll get started with his best, which was the rushing game, and I think it's funny with Daniel Jones because we've talked about a couple of good rushing quarterbacks already and we'll talk about a couple more and with pretty much all the other ones who are good elite in the rushing game as a quarterback and I'm including Daniel Jones in that I feel like with all of the other ones defenses expect them to do this and you see a lot of QB designed runs and they're kind of expected to have to stop the rushing attack of Daniel Jones and especially this early in the season it felt like teams simply kept not planning on it and he was just doing his thing taking advantage I feel like a lot of those rushes that he had were not planned they were not designed he just saw a little crevice in the defense and he scrambled for plenty of yards and that's why it's so dangerous it's because you can't really predict and figure a way how out how to stop this Daniel Jones rushing game he just has good feel for when taking off is the right time and he's able to do it and I feel like that adds even more space for a guy like Saquon to succeed who in this game had a very good performance and I think partially had to do with Daniel Jones being so elite and that rushing attack once again ties him to him not taking too many sacks in this one I also felt like he was barely under pressure in this one and I think when teams have to account for not only Saquon's rushing prowess but his as well in the backfield you have so much to deal with, and that's going to slow down the pass rushers. That's going to be huge for their offense, and it showed in this one. 
and getting back to his passing, I thought he was once again pretty damn accurate. Maybe not quite as accurate as the past few games, but still very much, very much shot. So he finally took some deep shots in this one. That long touchdown pass to Darius Slayton was pretty impressive. Uh, and just overall, once again, coming in, I guess you could say clutch towards the end of the game. And in this one game, he wasn't necessarily doing bad, so to speak, at any point in the game. So it's not like it's a confidence thing, like him being able to stay in the game. But I still like the fact that a guy like Daniel Jones, who maybe isn't the best quarterback in the world and will have a lot of these close games because he's not lighting up the defense all game. I think it's nice to see him actually put teams away late in the game uh, when the Giants really need a drive and he's able to you know, get a little drive going. There's a couple of times we've seen that, and I feel like it's becoming a pretty good characteristic of his. So overall, very good performance in my book. All right, moving on to the next game against Seattle. This one was a serious disaster class, in my opinion. So puts the ball in harm's way multiple times with a fumble and a dropped pick for me. The accuracy and consistency of the offense, really not the same in this one. Um, And he takes five sacks. Um, a number of them on him, just holding the ball for a very, very long time. Um, yeah, just not much to write home about this performance in general. Yeah, this is the issue with Daniel Jones, man, because you want him to be the consistent guy, the guy that's going to come in every week and maybe not light it up, but he's going to be accurate and get the ball to who it needs to be and keep you in the game. But he'll have performances like these where he just – doesn't do that at all and it completely takes this team out of the game and he doesn't have the big play and quick scoring ability to dig them out of that hole so games like this is what really holds him back for me and once again that sack problem he when he isn't a rushing threat it seems to be a problem that he's holding the ball way too long it almost feels like sometimes because he's such a great scrambles threat he's looking around looking for that and maybe not even looking to pass sometimes and then as he's doing all that, it seems like the D-linemen are just getting to him and bringing him down. Uh, it doesn't seem like offensive line issue to me. And that's where the problem really arises. Uh, and I think that affected his accuracy as well in this. I said earlier that he doesn't isn't typically the sort of guy that lets pressure affect him a lot to the point where it ruins his game, but that definitely happened in this one. Uh, His accuracy was all over the place. It felt like he was sailing balls left and right, really, and that led to one or two interception-worthy plays in my books. Uh, And it kind of leans on the fact, again, and he did have that fumble as well. I should mention that. And it leans on the fact, again, that if Saquon or the rushing attack in general for New York isn't good and the offense kind of falls it's, or drops responsibility completely on Daniel Jones, you know, the guy who you want to be your franchise quarterback, he simply cannot deliver. And that's the issue that's going to continue to happen and was the problem in this one. All right, moving on to the next game against the Texans after the bye week. Um, I, I don't know how to evaluate this game perfectly. Um, another low-volume game. Um, they don't really ask much for, much of him at all. Um, very, very low average depth of target in this one. Um, I will say I thought this game ended up being average instead of good because he took three sacks that he probably should have avoided. Um, but yeah, just, just not asked to do too much against the Texans in this one. 
Yeah, I, I agree pretty much. Like, when you have, and I've said it a bunch of times, when you have this dominant of a performance from a guy like Saquon Barkley against a pretty poor defense in the Texans, like, this is kind of just bound to happen where he's going to have a small small volume performance and his stats are going to look good. I mean, his rating and QB rating in this one was 153.3. That's like damn near perfect. Uh, and it's going to end up being that way because he has such a small volume. Uh, he didn't really make any throws that really impressed me in this one. Uh, I guess he did have that super a big pass to Darius Slayton, but in general, it wasn't anything that blew me out of the water. It was a lot of just open passes that he was making, working off that play action because Saquon was so good. Uh, but I'll give props where it's due. He was very, very accurate in this one, got the ball where it needed to be every time. He really cooked a very bad Houston defense because his receivers were just running open all over the place. Uh, I guess those sacks do cause a bit of an issue. But honestly, to me, that's a bit of a step in the right direction because I felt like he was under pressure and took less sacks than he did in those other games. So I guess that's a bit of a positive, but still needs is something that he's got to continue to fix up overall. But good performance for me, but got to take it with a grain of salt considering the level of play and the low volume. All right, moving on to the next game against Detroit. And um, in this one... He does put the ball harm's way a couple of times, um, but for me, he does make up for it um, with consistent chunking down the field. Um, a couple of explosive plays here and there. Um, nothing nothing uh, insane in terms of the explosives, um, and he does suffer from a number of drops in this one and has to throw the ball away a lot. Um, so that's going to hurt his completion percentage quite a bit. I thought, in general, his accuracy was better than the completion percentage would indicate. Um, and he was under pressure quite a bit in this one. Um, so I thought two sacks was a pretty good showing overall based on the amount of pressure that he was under. Um, so, yeah, I thought overall this was kind of an above-average game despite the fact that he put the ball in harm's way multiple times. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit less uh, lenient on this game because I do agree that he didn't make up for it. Uh, with a bunch of big plays, all those mistakes he made, but I still think it wasn't enough because to me, I and I said this before, Daniel Jones is the type of guy that you really can't make too many mistakes because I don't think he's got that ability to dig you out of the hole, and I think this game was the perfect example of that. When you get blanked for like damn near three quarters because of how many mistakes you're making and how inaccurate you are compared to your normal it's just not going to be enough when you come in in that fourth quarter and try to dig yourself out of that hole. And I think that's what happened here. I mean, his yards look good. He spread the ball out to a lot of people. And this is probably the best in terms of volume, best passing game he's had all year. But to me, a lot of that just becomes empty stats because the Lions took a lead early, kind of just sat their defense back. And Daniel Jones was just getting a lot of stuff underneath but it simply was not enough because of how many mistakes he made early on in that game. So to me, this is a below average performance because he just didn't do enough to dig himself out of the hole he put himself in. And it once again shows that when the running game doesn't work and you put a high volume on Daniel Jones, granted, he was a lot better in this game than any of those other games where he was given a high volume, but it still isn't 
uh, winning format. It doesn't result in a positive game for Daniel Jones, in my opinion. And I think this is just another example of that. All right, moving on to the next one. So, again, um, against the Cowboys defense, they're in a bad matchup. Um, and Daniel Jones puts the ball in harm's way a couple of times in this one. Uh, doesn't show up in the traditional box score with a pick. Um, but, yeah, again, um, this game under a lot of pressure, um, takes a few sacks. Not all of them his fault, and his accuracy wasn't really um, the same in this game, in my opinion. Um, he does have a number of throwaways that are going to affect his completion percentage, but, um, yeah, I think in general he didn't make enough explosive plays to make up for the mistakes that he he did make. Yeah, and I guess one thing I will point out right away is this does show a sign of progress for uh, Daniel Jones in the last game against a much better team in that Cowboys defense. He looked completely lost and flustered all game and just didn't look like he belonged there. And in this game, granted, he did make a lot of mistakes and he wasn't nearly as good as he was in some of his better games this year, but he finally looked like he deserved to be on that field against that elite-level defense. And it did take him a little bit to settle in. His first half was not the best. I feel like, if I remember correctly, that turnover play that happened was... Uh, or a turnover-worthy play that happened was then. I believe he lost a fumble as well, which happened around then as well. Uh, but overall, he finally looked like he belongs, but that's kind of where the positives go away for this game because, like I said, it still was not a good game. Once again, even though he didn't deal with as much pressure as he did in that first game because it was a little bit better with that, he still had a lot of pressure in his face, and he took three sacks once again, which that's way too much for a guy like Daniel Jones. Uh, I don't think the box score really lies in this one in terms of his accuracy and completion percentage. I thought he was pretty bad in this one because accuracy-wise because of how stingy that Cowboys secondary is. They weren't giving his receivers a lot of space, and he really just wasn't able to throw them open. Uh, Daniel Jones keeps seeming to me like the guy that can hit people when they're open, but a lot of these games he was not able to throw people open or make do when he has a little bit tighter windows, a little bit less space. Uh, overall, I wasn't too happy of this performance, but overall, I got to say, for a younger quarterback, it's a huge step in the right direction, the progress he made from that old Cowboys game to that first one right. to this one. All right. Moving on to the next one against the Commanders. Um, this one was a pretty clean game overall. He does put the ball in harm's way with the fumble again. Um, but, yeah, um, in terms of completing passes – and I think, again, um, completion percentage uh, undersells what was going on because he does have a, a drop in here and a throwaway, um, which makes up for a couple of his incompletions and a couple of miscommunications here and there. So um, he was basically flawless in terms of completing passes. The one area that I will nitpick is that he took four sacks in this one despite not having an extreme volume of pressure. So I thought he could have done a better job avoiding those negative plays, um, but he was able to generate... Um, an explosive play here and there. Um, and I think that was enough to get him to an above average game. Yeah, I think I'm more on the side of him having an average-ish game. Because uh, to me, just the mistakes and the amount of pressure he took was a bit too much. Four sacks to me still is just unacceptable for Daniel Jones. And it just seemed like he was under pressure quite a bit in this one. I thought that fumble was huge because at that point, the Giants kind of had a lot of momentum. They're getting things going. And then Daniel Jones loses that fumble. And I feel like that really 
cut off a lot of what they were trying to do. That's why I felt like they were so blanked in that second half, or not second half, but like towards the end of that game. They really didn't get much going on offense, and I thought it was just plays here and there like that that just stunted their offense ultimately. Uh, He did have a pretty good impact in the rushing game in this one, although it wasn't as good as that one we talked about earlier in the year. Uh, I think it's once again kind of surprising how lax defenses are with Daniel Jones' rushing attack. I'm hoping next season they look at the film that we're seeing and really lock up on that because I don't think it's that hard to stop a Daniel Jones rushing attack. But once again, he took advantage of that. Uh, He was very accurate in this one, which I liked out of him, and he did attack downfield once or twice, did connect one time with Darius Slayton, which was good. Uh, Even if he's not doing it five times a game, I think it's important for him to attack downfield at least once or twice just to take the top off the defense and show that he can do that a little bit open up the nooks and crevices uh, down low. Uh, So I think overall this is a very solid, clean performance, but those mistakes here and there that killed their offense just make it an average performance for me. All right, moving on to the next one. So um, the first of the Philly games, and this one was a good one. Um, He was extremely accurate, again, in my opinion, a uh, box score lying a little bit because of a few drops here and there and some miscommunications, and he was hit while he was throwing a couple times. So um, I thought he was very good in, in rhythm. Um, does have a dropped interception in this one, in my opinion. But the thing that's holding it back from being a truly great game, um, despite the fact that he was making some really nice throws, um, accurate throws, um, is the fact that he took four sacks and the the turnover they played that I mentioned. So um a, a solidly good game in this one, but holding it back from being elite is those negative plays. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there because I think in this blowout loss, loss of massive proportions that the Giants took, it kind of went under the radar that Daniel Jones really wasn't that bad. And I, I think most people, when they see a performance like this where the Giants kind of put up a dud, that they just assume Daniel Jones would have played bad. But it really wasn't one of his worst, especially considering how locked down that Eagles defense had been all year pretty much, but especially in this one against the run game. I mean, Saquon was just locked up completely. Uh, the Giants try to get in their bag and really give it to a lot of different people in this one to try to open up the running game somehow, and they couldn't. So it fell on Daniel Jones to be a higher value, volume passer than he wants to be, and uh, just to do a little bit more, and he was still very, very solid. Uh, like you said, he got a l- unlucky with a couple of drops here and there because if it wasn't for that, his completion percentage would really represent how accurate he was. I thought he was incredibly accurate in this one. Uh, I think he was attacking all facets of the field. He once again went deep once or twice, and it was just enough to open up the field uh, down low for guys like your Richie James, your Isaiah Hodgins, even check downs to Saquon, like, It was opened up a lot more for that. And I will say, granted, a lot of their points and a lot of what Daniel Jones did in this game came later in the game where the Eagles had the clear advantage and just sat back, let Daniel Jones do his thing underneath. So it was a lot easier than it would be in most games, I'd say. But he did what he had to do in that situation. 
Um, I think he scored a solid amount. You're never going to be able to get a Daniel Jones where he's keeping up with a near 50-point <laughs> performance from this Eagles offense, which was insane. Uh, you really can't expect Daniel Jones to do that. But for his role, I think he played very good, and this is a very, very solid performance. All right, moving on to the next one against the Commanders. And this one, again, um, I thought he was pretty solid. Suffering from a couple of plays here and there where um, his completion percentage um, was was lowered because of them. Um, but, yeah, I thought he was just very in rhythm in this game, very low average at the target uh, by design for the offense. Um, and, yeah, he just kind of executed what the offense asked of him. No sacks in this one, so that's – adds to my theme of, of having a very clean game. Um, yeah, I was impressed with him in this one, uh, despite the fact that they didn't ask him to do too much. Clean, I think, is once again a very great game to describe it because I think he had a very clean, good performance in this one. And I think this is just more of what the Giants' offense was as a whole this season. Uh, this is the type of game they would have, they normally want to have with maybe a couple more pass attempts uh, to Daniel Jones, this game was a little bit more balanced. They normally lean a little bit more to the rushing side. But I think this is good for Daniel Jones because he was able to hot handle a little bit higher volume and let the team uh, lean on to him a little bit more. And Saquon still had a great performance, and Daniel Jones was able to work off that. And when they do that, it's clearly a winning formula for this Giants team. Uh, even though he didn't attack downfield, hell, he didn't even attack the intermediate part of the field that much in this one. He was very, very accurate in the short passes he did do because of the run game. It was kind of wide open all day, and he took exactly what he could get. And they just kind of dinked and dunked, grounded and pounded their way downfield pretty much that entire game. Uh, I would have liked him to finish a couple more drives in that second half. I feel like the Giants were in scoring position a lot, and a couple of miscues here and there from Daniel Jones kind of caused that to them to not be an even more prolific offense in this game, and I think that's a huge thing he can develop uh, in his game going into next year uh, to make him, take him to that next step a little bit. Uh, but overall, solid, good performance for him to hear. All right, moving on to the next one, and... And something about that Minnesota stadium brings out the aggression in Daniel Jones because this one, he had some very, very impressive uh, deep passes. And I thought they made up for um, the passes that he put in harm's way, um, specifically talking talking about a fumble and a dropped interception. Um, suffered a couple of drops um, and plays where he was hit while he was throwing um, with the throwaways and, and batted passes and stuff like that. So that's going to dampen his completion percentage again, like I've been mentioning pretty much this entire uh, this entire episode. Um, does take a few sacks, but I really don't think it was enough to uh, offset the number of uh, positive plays that he was making, whether it be throwing past the first down marker or generating a few explosive plays here and there. Just a very, very impressive game in terms of pushing the ball uh, down the field when he needed to and being successful on those attempts. Yeah, I don't know what Daniel Jones had for breakfast the morning before this game because this absolutely was not the type of Daniel Jones performance we expect and know to see. Uh, he became a volume passer who doesn't spread the ball and was targeting a couple of his receivers. Uh, he completely changed his game in this one from who he normally is, and normally that's a bad thing, but in this case it actually went 
really well, in my opinion. Uh, for whatever reason, him just being able to attack the ball, he was able to attack the defense downfield and connect on a lot of passes. Uh, the average depth of target for him in this one was significantly more than really any of his other games, and that's why he had so many yards. 42 pass attempts for Daniel Jones is insane. And this is wild considering that Saquon, once again, had a very good game and the limited amount of carries he had, he had a pretty successful output overall. So I was kind of surprised that they didn't lead it, lean into that more, but I guess they had to do it out of necessity because the Vikings offense was also very prolific and quick scoring in the passing game in this one. Uh, but overall, very, very good performance. His accuracy was up there. Uh, I felt like he was, even though he took three sacks, I felt like he was taking a lot less pressure in this one than he normally would. Uh, he didn't seem like he was as flustered as normal. Uh, I don't even think that interception that he threw was particularly his fault. I thought that was not really interceptable, interception-worthy play, and he kind of got screwed over there. Overall, very good. All right, moving on to his final regular season start. Um, against Indy, and this one's a little bit of a lower volume game in the passing uh, attack, um, and he does put the ball in harm's way for one dropped interception for me, so the passing part is going to come out as kind of average, um, but um, despite the fact that it was a little bit lower of an ADOT game, um, average as a target, um, he was very accurate on those attempts, so that'll bring it up to average from what one turnover worthy play and nothing else would suggest. And as a rusher, he was very, very impressive in this game. Um, so overall, that's going to bring it to a very solid game, um, or, or sorry, sorry, a very good game uh, overall for Daniel Jones in this one. Yeah, I agree that Daniel Jones was pretty damn good in this game, but I do have to say that this also has to be one of those games you put a little bit in quotes because uh, context matters. Uh, I think the Giants pretty much had this in the bag from the start because the Colts were really just tanking at this point, trying to lose. The Giants were a playoff team, you know, getting their last game in. Uh, this was just a way overmatched performance, in my opinion. And I think for that reason, Daniel Jones was as good as he was. The Colts weren't really trying necessarily. But with that being said, he was still very, very clean and very, very good in this one. No real mistakes from him, whether it was a sack, fumble, interception, which is incredibly rare for a Daniel Jones game. So that was sick. And then him being very, he was very, very uh, on target and accurate in this game once again. Uh, he was attacking that intermediate uh, range of the field a lot. And I feel like he would have even tried to go deep if the Giants were just not destroying them to the extent they were. And like you mentioned, I'll say it again, his rushing impact in this one was phenomenal. Probably his second best rushing game of the season. And it just once again confused me for what reason teams just don't plan for that. But I, I love that he just keeps taking advantage and great performance from him. All right, moving on to the next game. This one, probably my favorite game of the season from him. Um, so the Vikings defense horrendous uh, showing in general. Uh, but that doesn't stop Daniel Jones from generating chunk after chunk after chunk in this one. And that's not even including the fact that there were some critical drops and uh, a couple of throwaways and, and bad passes in this one. So like um, his completion percentage, again, lying, very accurate in this one, um, on time and rhythm. And he was doing a lot more in terms of carrying the offense than he was um, in previous games with his rushing with the amount of passes that he had to throw. Um, 
yeah, just really, really impressive game in terms of both volume and efficiency in this one. Um, yeah, came away really impressed with this. Yeah, I have to agree with you that this has got to be uh, my favorite Daniel Jones performance of the year. And I think more than you, I'm the type of guy to weigh like playoff games a little bit more than those regular season games. And that's why for me, this was just a phenomenal performance because I was definitely one of those people who thought the Vikings had this game in the bag. I thought the Vikings honestly had a shot in the NFC overall. Uh, I thought this was a really good team with a really good defense. Obviously not on the day. This defense was not good. But Daniel Jones absolutely ripped them apart. And I agree that his accuracy, if you actually watch the game, watch the film, did not look at what it, at what it was on, in this box score. He was much more accurate in this one. And he was just ripping it downfield in this one more than any other game. The other game, only other game he did that had to be that other Vikings game. And this game, I felt like he was doing it even more. And this was really the Isaiah Hodgins come out party because it felt like he was wide open all day in that little intermediate range. And Daniel Jones would just hit him on a quick in or a little comeback, little out route, and he would just go wild. Uh, not too many huge plays. Uh, in the air, but a lot of just yak yardage from him. Uh, and that's huge props to Daniel Jones for being able to get it to him and still attack downfield with like your guys like Darius Slayton still ch- check it down to Saquon. And I like that even though he spread the ball out a lot earlier in the year, when it really came down to it in this game, he was able to make do with the limited talent he had around him and still continue to go to those same guys, but still keep finding them open consistently and he was once again very very impactful in the rushing game and I think this is the prime example of what our defense is doing not defending Daniel Jones he's gonna if he gets like 80 yards on the ground on you and then another 300 yards passing you're pretty much guaranteed to lose and even though he took three sacks here I didn't feel like he was under pressure for most of this game. Uh, he managed the pocket well, pretty much, and did a great job of getting the ball out quick, too. Overall, probably his most complete performance of the year, and I was highly impressed. All right, moving on to his final game of the season. Um, this one, unquestioned disaster class. Um, it is just really awful. Um, I, I, this this is probably the worst game of the season, um, in my opinion. Maybe this or, or that Seattle game where he was just totally out of whack. But yeah, just like he was he wasn't in rhythm. Put the ball in harm's way multiple times. Um, wasn't on the same page with his receivers. Took a bunch of sacks. Was holding onto the ball a lot. Um, yeah, I, I very very bad performance. Uncharacteristically bad, even um, I would say. And. The rushing being like okay is the only thing saving it from being one of the worst games of the season by anyone, I think. Uh, I guess the rushing was okay. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know if I'd say that about Daniel Jones either in this one. Uh, but yeah, this game really surprised me because I said earlier on in the season, and as you saw from his performances, like a quarter of the way for, into the season and after. He never looked like that first three-year Daniel Jones where he was just flustered and looked completely out of it, was just unable to make anything happen. And I don't know what the Eagles were doing in this game that really made them cook the Giants like ph- phenomenally more than 
and by massive proportions more than what they did in the regular season. Because, like I said in the regular season, Daniel Jones very much held his own against that Eagles team. Uh, even though the team got beat up in that game, he was still pretty solid or those games. And in this one, I don't know what happened to him. He looked like every negative thing we said in the, uh, Daniel Jones all compiled into one. Uh, and Saquon was pretty solid in this game too. They did kind of have to limit how much they could get at him because, well, the Giants were down so much so early, they had to rely on Daniel Jones. And as we saw early in the year, when you have to rely on Daniel Jones, uh, you're kind of cooked. And it showed in his accuracy. His accuracy was piss poor in this one. Uh, he did not go to any of the guys that helped him uh, in that previous game. And Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, Saquon didn't go to them nearly enough. Uh, and maybe it was because that Eagle secondary was really locked down and those guys were not open as much. But I do think some of the blame also had to go with Daniel Jones not finding them. Uh, he wasn't attacking downfield more than like 10 yards. And that's why you saw him have so many, such few yards in this one. Uh, all the sacks he took, PD already got into that. Obviously terrible. And that pick was probably one of the worst things that he could have done in this game. It really set the Eagles off, I felt like, and really iced this game uh, in favor of the Eagles. So overall, terrible, terrible performance. And I was really disappointed to see Daniel Jones and the Giants go out like this. Like, I think everyone knew the Eagles were going to win this. And by a pretty big margin too, but I didn't think Daniel Jones would go out sad like this, which sucked. All right. So let's talk about the team and scheme. So scheme is going to be largely the same. Um, They're going to be running a lot of movement, going to have a heavy dose of the run game, play action, um, rollouts, bootlegs, that type of stuff. Um, There's been some regression in terms of the interior offensive line. But I, I think there's going to be some progression from guys like Evan Neal. Um, and they just drafted John Michael Schmitz, um, rookie center. So he should improve in theory as the season goes on. Um, but the receivers, like, okay, so so they so they add Darren Waller, right? Um, Darren Waller, I think, will bring a vertical component to this offense that they're missing. Um, and I do believe in Dayball to use him properly. Um, but he's kind of aging pretty fast. And I think that um, there's a chance that he might not really return the value that um, you think he would. Um, And then the rest of this receiving core is just really, really rough. Um, Isaiah Hodgins, I like as um, a number three on like a high-end team. Um, Darius Slayton, I also think I like as a number three on a high-end team. Um, But Paris Campbell, uh, Wandale Robinson, Jalen Hyatt, Sterling Shepard, like these are not like great depth pieces that that can plug in and have potential as like a number two or a number one. And obviously like they've shown that they can kind of offset some of that with uh, team and scheme. But I think as you suffer like more injuries, um, more issues along uh, the offensive line um, with consistency and and fit um, these kinds of, the kinds of serious holes in your roster can only be hidden for so long. Um, And I, I think that it's, it's, it's within the range of outcomes for the Giants to complete to have a serious regression um, with their offense. Now, if if Daniel Jones is is the same player that he was last year, and he's just developed those accurate that accuracy um, as a result of being in a scheme that uh, fits him, like his mechanics are are cleaned up um, by him being in being more in rhythm, um, then I think you have something else. But um, as it stands right now, 
it's it's very possible, um, in my opinion, that uh, their offense takes a step back with the lack of talent along the roster. Yeah, I think a lot of what you said there is true, and I'm a little bit surprised at the direction the Giants have gone uh, and the direction being not really changing anything because I thought it was pretty evident and clear not only in that Eagles game, but even in that Vikings game, that they desperately needed more talent on that offense because obviously it was evident in that Eagles game because they got absolutely shut out. But even in that Vikings game where they played well, I thought it was purely because of Daniel Jones that they got brought out of that game. It was pretty evident that the discrepancy between having a guy like Justin Jefferson on one side and then you have Isaiah Hodgins leading the other side. I thought it was pretty clear that the Giants lacked a lot of offensive firepower and talent to keep up with these teams. And at this point, I think the Giants have gone full-fledged in on, oh, we're going to try to win now, which I thought was a weird way to go about things, giving their roster. But if they are trying to win now and you keep a guy like Daniel Jones, who we know and you've got to know as the Giants front office is very limited – So I was very confused why they chose to say lateral and not really change much in terms of the situation around him. Uh, To get started with the running back room, I think Saquon's a great fit with him. I talked about it during the season, or not during the season, but while we went over uh, the games during the season. Having that rushing uh, threat in Daniel Jones and a guy like Saquon who can beat you down the middle, he can beat you around the corner, he has the type of talent to beat you as a running back anywhere on the field. And when you have that paired with Daniel Jones in the backfield, I think that's very, very lethal. And when you have another change of pace guy like Matt Breida there, it's also a great job, a great way to just switch up what you're doing on offense. Uh, I think the issue here is they, and it comes with Daniel Jones too, they paid Daniel Jones and decided not to pay Saquon. And now he's complaining on Twitter. He may even hold out. And that's not really a conversation about Daniel Jones, but it's going to come into his fit where I think if they don't have Saquon here, I think this running back room fits horribly with him because of how poor talented it is. But hopefully things go all well and Saquon's playing for the Giants, in which case I think it's a good RB room for him. But I, I think that's where the positives go away because, like you said, this receiver room is atrocious. And I think with the flashes we saw out of Isaiah Hodgins in that playoffs, I also think he could be a very, very solid wide receiver three for another team. But being your wide receiver one is kind of insane. I think it's a stretch to say in 2023 that guys like Paris Campbell and Darius Slayton are going to be wide receiver twos and threes on your team. I think they're the type of guys who on most other teams would either not make the roster or just not be major contributors, kind of be rotational guys. Uh, so it's very, very weird to me that the Giants have decided they're going to rely on those types of guys as well as like a Sterling Shepard, Jamison Crowder, Cole Beasley. They've got all these guys on their team who are really old and clearly washed. Uh, I just don't understand what they're trying to do with that. Uh, some guys who I think have a little bit of upside, but are clearly not good enough at this point in time to really help Daniel Jones or Wandale Robinson and Jalen Hyatt. Uh, I'm particularly excited about Jalen Hyatt because I think as a rookie, he still has a lot of ways that he, he's still a complete question mark. He could help the Giants a lot more than like we would expect sitting here right now. 
And I think he adds a deep threat that even if Daniel Jones doesn't use it too much, I think that's huge for their offense. But overall, this is one of the worst wide receiver rooms in the league. And I think that's very bad for a guy like Daniel Jones who desperately needs talent. Uh, I thought Darren Waller was a great pickup, especially given the uh, or the fact that they didn't have to give up too much to get him. I also agree that his vertical threat and just overall versatility is going to be huge for this offense and just Daniel Jones in general. I mean, for years, uh, Waller was able to have that link up with Carr, who I feel like Daniel Jones kind of has a similar skill set to, and that might even be why the Giants decided to bring him in. I also think this offensive line is really good uh, for Daniel Jones, primarily because this offensive line is really good uh, for Saquon Barkley, in my opinion. And like I said, with his game the whole year, that if Saquon goes, Daniel Jones will go as well. And I think guys like Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal, huge guys with a lot of strength and still very quick and agile are going to be huge in the run game. I also like the pick up with John Michael Schmitz. I, I, I do think guys like Lewinsky and Bredson, or however you pronounce his name, are kind of gaping holes in that guard spot. Uh, but overall, I think with the tackle spots being very, very sure, in my opinion, I think it'll be a solid offensive line with a good run game. And I think that fits well around him. So it's really just a wide receiver room. But as a quarterback, that's like your most important part that you need help with and that's the biggest thing that they should have focused on in this offseason getting at least one proven guy in there to help Daniel Jones uh I think they're kind of setting up Daniel Jones for failure with this receiver core yeah I think that um just calling Evan Neal like a sure thing right now is is a little excessive for me like I would say like he he has potential to get there in terms of his athleticism and and his size and and stuff like that. But um, yeah, he needs to like put it together for me to be confident with that. Um, But anyway, um, let's look at some outcomes for these guys. So for Daniel Jones, um, I think that his median outcome is something like an average quarterback um, right around that uh, 14 to 16 range um, is what I'm thinking. So maybe like slightly above, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, at a 75th percentile outcome, I think he looks like a, the 10th to 12th best quarterback. Um, I think that um, if he continues to develop his accuracy um, in the traditional dropback game and, and maybe continue to limit those turnover-worthy plays um, and fumbles, uh, he has a path to being um, one of the more uh, strong game managers or like uh, guys who, who won't lose you the game. And that, that's that's pretty valuable on a high end team to me, which, which is kind of what I'm looking for. Um, and then at the hundredth percentile outcome, he could be a pro bowler. Um, I think that he has the ability to be one of the better rushing quarterbacks in the league. And if he puts together um, the accuracy in a true dropback game, um, improves his uh, ability to avoid negative plays and just makes him more explosives with, the athletic tools that he has. Yeah, I could, I could totally see him making a Pro Bowl um, at his very, very best outcomes. And then looking at some lower-end outcomes for him, um, if he kind of regresses to what he has been in the years past, um, where he's been less accurate, um, more uncomfortable um, in, in, in the structure of the offense and out of the structure of the offense as well, um, he could look more like uh, a solidly below average quarterback. So more like a 25th to 27th best quarterback in, in the lower end outcomes and his very worst outcomes 
Um, I think it might look more like it's it's looked even even earlier years. So like his year, pretty disastrous. Um, probably not going to be getting to that level, but his very very worst outcomes. He looks more like twenty um, eighth, thirtieth best quarterbacks in my opinion. So um, the high end outcomes not extremely high in comparison to the way the lower outcomes uh, are very very low. But I I think that. Um, in all likelihood, he will land somewhere um, closer to his average outcome. Yeah, fair enough. To me, I think a guy like Daniel Jones, obviously, I believe he's going into his fifth year in the league now. And I think at this point, you can consider him like a veteran in this league, even though he's still very, very young because I think he came into the league quite young. I think he's only like 25 or 26 even now. Uh, I think at this point in his career, even with the amount of games he's played, with him being a starter kind of right away once Eli retired, I think you kind of know what to expect out of him. So for me, his range of outcomes is not as high because I just think with all the limiting factors he has and just the talent I've seen out of him right now, which to me, I don't think he's nearly as talented as majority of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now, but because he's just in the past year become so sure in the skill set that he has been able to work on, uh, I think because of that, he overlaps a lot of guys. Uh, but I think that just overall natural skill set that he's missing is going to hold him off from becoming one of the top of the top or one of the elites. Uh, but with that being said, for me, his average outcome is going to be somewhere in the slightly above average uh, because, to me, that's where he was last year, slightly above average, and I don't really see huge progression from him, and I don't really see huge regression from him either. I think Daniel Jones coming into next year will be a very similar player. Uh, clearly, he has damn near the same exact team around him so I can't really project from him improving or getting worse as a result of that so to me it, it's all on Daniel Jones's improvement and development and to me I think Daniel Jones is kind of set in stone in where he is I think he's going to be the same kind of guy he'll probably have a couple of games here and there where he stinks the bed he's going to have a couple of plays here and there almost every game where he's giving it away to the other team type of thing. Uh, hopefully he clears up the sack problem a little bit, but I still think that'll be a bit of an issue next season too. But I still think he's going to be a very, very good game manager who's incredibly accurate, who gets it to his receivers in stride and on target all the time. And for that reason, he'll be about, just above average for me. Now his 100% outcome or just his uh, high-end outcome is going to come down to whether he can fix some of those things. And I think that's not something that's a talent issue. Like That's something that he should be able to do if he just improves his game. Uh, stuff like making um, throwing too many interceptions or he's always had a fumbling problem. If he's able to get his hands more secure, he'll be even more of a threat in the rushing game. If he's able to limit his interceptions and maybe even those sacks, he'll be even more of a threat in that short passing game. And maybe he wouldn't be able to stay in the pocket and hit teams deep a little more. Uh, now that he does have a guy like Jalen Hyatt and maybe even a Wandell Robinson to attack deep a little bit. Uh, and I think in that situation, I also think he can be like a low-end pro bowler type of guy. Uh, kind of in that same high-end outcome that I thought Watson might be able to get into uh, if he really puts it together. Uh, I think Daniel Jones could also be in that same sort of conversation. And to me, I think 
obviously with him being higher in his median level outcome, I think it's much more realistic that Daniel Jones hits this than a guy like Watson. Uh, it's just Watson has a lot more talent. And I think his low-end outcome is not too much lower either. I think we're kind of far and beyond past the time where we we expect really bad things out of Daniel Jones. And I think at this point in time, I can firmly believe that he's better than any backup in the league and is just a firmly a, firmly a starting quarterback, which at the start of last season, I definitely could not say. I was completely on the train of get rid of Daniel Jones and given the contract the Giants gave him, where we're not really a money-talking podcast, but my God, was that a terrible contract. I still might be on the page of getting rid of Daniel Jones, but now it has nothing to do with this play. It's purely a money thing. And for that reason, I think in his lowest end outcome, he's just going to be somewhere in that 20 to 25 range uh, where he's a below-average quarterback but still firmly above uh, those backups. And I think if the team really lets him down and he kind of slides back into that first year Daniel Jones or the type of Daniel Jones we saw in a couple of games here and there where he was throwing too many picks or just balls into uh, interception-worthy areas in general, if the sack problem continues to stay at where he is and he doesn't improve, and same with the fumbles, uh, if he just makes more mistakes and still continues to not make explosive plays to make up for it, I could see him fall into that, but I think he's just still too good to be a backup-level player. Uh, and I guess moving on to their other guys and Tyrod Taylor and Tommy DeVito. Uh, to be completely honest with Tommy DeVito, and I think I said this before, I really have no idea who he is. I'm very unfamiliar with his game, and I honestly didn't even know he was on an NFL roster. And for that reason, to me, he's not even a third-string guy because I feel like you know, I should have heard more about him, whether it's in college or in the draft or something, to warrant that. But maybe he can prove me wrong because this is a completely a blind pick. And with Tyrod Taylor, I think he's one of the better backups in the league, and I think he has been for a while now. I think it's honestly a little underrated how easily he has been able to just slide into many, many different offenses and many different units and kind of still be a solid guy. Uh, so to me, he's an average-level backup, uh, but with potential to be a high-level backup if Daniel Jones misses time and he kind of gets into that rhythm. Uh, he's a very, he's maybe not as athletic now, but he's always been a athletic type of quarterback with a big arm, and I feel like that fits Daniel Jones well, too. Daniel Jones is just better in all those aspects. Uh, so I think Tyrod Taylor could fit into this offense well and just be a solid backup. Yeah. Um, just want to clarify some points that I made, um, and, uh, expand on what you made. So what I'm saying with the low end outcomes, um, for Daniel Jones is that I think that if the situation goes to shit, like, uh, if it gets like really, really bad for him, he will probably fall off a, a cliff in terms of his level of play really fast. But what I'm, what I'm saying by, um, saying that he, he'll likely not get there is that I believe in the situation enough um, and the coaching staff to not put him in those bad situations um, such that he'll develop well and um, continue to be a solid quarterback for the course of the season. Um, and then touching on Tyrod Taylor, yeah, I think he's like um, a below average backup at this point. Used to be one of my favorite backups, but um, yeah, falling off a little bit with age. Um, and yeah, Tommy DeVito, um, not really familiar with his game, like you said. Um, yeah, anything else to add before we uh, head out? 
Uh, yeah, I guess a couple quick notes. I, I also think that Tyrod in probably his younger years was a bit of a better backup and maybe fell off a bit. Uh, but I think he'll still put on a solid shift. But the main point, uh, I think Dan, I agree with your point with Daniel Jones now that I think about it. Because uh, even though in his realistic ranges, which I think I do more of rather than the extremes, uh, I don't see that core, uh, offensive unit letting him down to extent where he falls off. But I agree with your point that Daniel Jones is like the type of quarterback that heavily, heavily relies on his unit to kind of keep him afloat and be the quarterback he is. He's not the type of talent that can just be really good or even average without, you know, that unit around him. So I could see a situation where injuries pile up, maybe even a Saquon holdout, as I mentioned, uh, that could really make this unit a lot worse. I think the Saquon hold it alo- holdout alone does it to where Daniel Jones could fall off a cliff. I think that's a, that's something they should really get on because I could see just that piece falling and maybe a Darren Waller injury away from Daniel Jones being backup level. So I, I definitely see your point with that. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how defenses change their box counts and such to to counter yeah. no Saquon Barkley on the field. Um, anyway, um, that'll be all from me. That'll be all from Potty. Make sure to leave a like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform you're listening on. That's all from us. We'll see you guys. See you guys in the next one. Peace. Yep. Peace.